Talks at Afters, where you get access and insights from some of the best in the business. Here at Afters, we are on the land of the Gadigal and the Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the extraordinarily rich 60,000 years of continuous culture that we are so fortunate to have here in Australia. Hello, I'm Nell Greenwood, CEO of Afters. And this is the place where you can find insights from some of the leading creatives in our industry. Directors, producers, podcasters, cinematographers, sound designers, screenwriters, radio makers, and more. All talking about how to make great work in complex times. Welcome to Talks at Afters. Talks at Afters, where you get access and insights from some of the best in the business. Here at Afters, we are on the land of the Gadigal and the Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the extraordinarily rich 60,000 years of continuous culture that we are so fortunate to have here in Australia. Hello, I'm Nell Greenwood, CEO of Afters. And this is the place where you can find insights from some of the leading creatives in our industry. Directors, producers, podcasters, cinematographers, sound designers, screenwriters, radio makers, and more. All talking about how to make great work in complex times. Welcome to Talks at Afters. I guess that's another big thing in radio. People constantly are trying to massage you into one particular version of a reporter or presenter, but... I guess the best thing you can do is be yourself, which sounds so cheesy and it's like, come on, are they really going to accept that? But I think um, news organisations and media organisations are really moving to accept more diversity and different ways of speaking, all that kind of thing. So that's really great. Avani Dias is the host of ABC's youth current affairs show Hack on Triple J. Her reporting on a UNSW student wrongly accused of terror offences led to her being a finalist in the Walkley Young Journalist of the Year Award and the Kennedy Awards, as well as winning the public interest category at the New South Wales Premier's Multicultural Communication Awards. Avani was previously a reporter for Hack and a multi-platform reporter for ABC News across TV, radio and online in Sydney and Darwin. Avani Dias, host of Triple J's Hack, will be in conversation with our very own head of radio, Fiona Smith. They will be sharing the inside scoop on how Hack is put together as well as the power of audio storytelling. And the person you'll hear asking questions at the end is AFTER's very own Director of Teaching and Learning, David Balfour. My first question for you is, as a young woman working in media, what sparked an interest in pursuing a radio and multimedia career? So an interest in radio, I guess, um, you know, I'm sure similar to a lot of you, I... Um, you know, enjoyed speaking to people and found that it was, you know, a, a skill of mine that I could actually hone in on, probably one of the only ones, to be honest. And I guess I started off um, working at a community radio station, FBI Radio. It's in Sydney. Um, and I was volunteering there from first year uni since I was about 18. And it got me really into the medium. It's 
just so intimate. Um, you're speaking to one person the entire time, which I really enjoyed. It's really instant as well. You can just really update everything so quickly. And that was really where it all began. And I was able to experiment with all different kind of radio projects there from doing podcasts and interviewing people to playing music on, on the station and introducing that. And so that's really where I first started getting involved in radio. Um, and then I started working doing sort of admin jobs at the ABC, but um, I guess I got my first role as the radio chief of staff assistant. So the chief of staff in a newsroom, I guess, chooses all the stories that we're going to cover in the morning. Um, and, you know, when things break throughout the day, they allocate stories to different reporters and so on. And they really run the shop. Um, and I was their assistant. Um, they were amazing. And they would sometimes send me out on stories as well. And um, yeah, I guess that's where I first started to really get into radio as well. And as a teenager, you grew up listening to Hack. Did you ever imagine that one day you would be hosting the show? Was that a goal? I mean, kind of blow your mind a little bit. It definitely blew my mind a little bit when I got the job um, officially last year. But yeah, I, I grew up listening to it. I love Triple J. I listened from when I was about 14 or something. I remember discovering new music on the station and um, it was amazing hearing Hack. It's, it's half hour every day, but for so many years, it's, it gives you just such an interesting insight into the news and it's probably one of, I think, the only broadcast platform in Australia that only focuses on young people. And um, in that way, it really was relatable to me. I would come out learning about the world, about politics, about something to do with myself and my own life. And the way they told those stories wasn't patronising, but it didn't assume knowledge either. And it was able to really help me connect and understand the news and what was going on in the world. Could you take us through the process of how Hack is made? We know that it's a daily news and current affairs program that goes for 30 minutes, but how are those stories selected and what kind of um, production time leads up to producing that daily program? Yeah, so each morning um, I read in to the newspapers. So basically every paper or mainstream paper that I can find. Um, I go through Twitter. I listen to RN Brecky and AM every morning. I listen to commercial radio sometimes as well, stuff like 2GB to try and get as much of a scope of what's around um, that day. And I guess what I'm listening for is firstly the story that everything that we're dictating on Hack is about our audience, which Technically, our demo is 18 to 25 year olds all over the country, but, you know, it kind of skews younger and older than that as well. So we have a pretty big bracket of people that listen to the show. But I'm thinking, what do young people need to know about? So, you know, obviously there are some big news stories that you have to cover that people really should be across for that day. Um, what's going on around the world? Um, and then I'm looking for stories that may, you know, buried in the fourth paragraph have something to do with young people that other newspapers may not be necessarily focusing on and, and looking at that as something um, that could be relevant. But to be honest, constantly I'm thinking about stuff. I mean, it sucks to be my friends in some cases because I'm like, oh yeah, that's an interesting thing that happened to you in your life. And that probably happens to heaps of other people as well. Um, and so 
I'm constantly just clocking ideas and writing them in my phone. Um, but then at 10 o'clock, our team meets um, and we have an editorial meeting each day. We've got reporters in Melbourne, Canberra, Brisbane, um, some online reporters as well who focus only on our online and social media. And uh, we have some radio producers as well. And so there's 10 of us. We meet at 10 o'clock. It used to be in person. Now it's in, on Zoom as everyone Zoom, yeah. has transferred to, yes. And we each talk about the stories that we think are worth covering. Um, and at that time, we'll also say, you know, this is one that this is a sort of a smaller idea that I would like to unpack further that may take a bit longer. And then at the end of that meeting, we choose the segments that we want to cover on the show. And then we chase, we allocate packages to reporters. So some of the reporters will do about four to five minute packages that they'll cut together that day. Um, and sometimes they've got stuff that's prepared ahead of time as well. So it's a bit of a variety in that sense. Um, and if it's a slower news day, then, you know, we can push out some of those timelier stories. Um, and then, yeah, we get chasing and, you know, some days it's really great. You just get everyone that you wanted to get. And then days like, um, I think two days ago was a bit of a nightmare. We were calling so many people. You, some of you may have seen the story about the Rio Tinto mining explosion and the, the cave, the 46,000 year old cave in the Pilbara being destroyed. I think um, me and our producer Serge called about 30 people in the Pilbara that day. Um, and we just couldn't, find the right talent for the story um and so some days you're just like this isn't exactly what I wanted in <laughs> terms of the segment but you've got to fill that gap um and so you you sort of push ahead with it and occasionally throughout the day you kind of change as well you know you'll get to 2 p.m and be like it's not going anywhere we need to change the story yeah um and yeah and so then throughout the day I'm preparing for interviews writing scripts bringing around talent um you know prepping them for the interviews and then we go to air at 5 30. You touched on there Avani some of the um skills required for being able to not just have one plan for the show. It sounds like you've always got kind of a plan A, B, C, D, possibly E as well, ready to go and knowing kind of when to hold on to that story or when to drop it and move to the next thing. How do you approach that? I guess it, it can be difficult sometimes because, yeah, as I said, things just don't come through. But then there are things that are kind of on the edges at the beginning, for example, with political interviews, we'll say, for example, the other day, the government announced the job maker program, the five year plan to get out of the economic situation. And we put in a bid for the treasurer. And from the beginning, you, you sort of know that that's a bit of a 50 50 chance that they may have time for you, but they may not. So we're always thinking if we don't get Josh Frydenberg, we've got um, this other talent who's an economist who can slot in and it won't be the politician, but it'll still be an expert that's independent, giving us a different perspective on the same story. So we're always thinking of other people we can speak to to push in to that spot. And we've always got stories in the can, I guess. Either interviews that I've done, sort of longer form things that are a bit deeper, um, that can run whenever, or the reporters may have stories in the can that they have ready to go as well. So that's like a plan D if everything's <laughs> to fall through as well. Um, so we've always got those backup plans. For students that are listening this morning, aspiring to one day work at Triple J on Hack, what would you say the top three skills or attributes are that you need to have? 
the chief of staff that I worked for originally, he was like, the first skill that I think every journalist needs is curiosity. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but the more that I've gone through my career, the more that I've realized that's really valid. And, you know, I think it's something that you either have or don't have, but that general kind of interest in what's going around you helps you develop story ideas. And I think that that's really the first skill. Um, I guess when it comes to sort of really practical stuff, um, you know, it's great to have editing skills um, to be able to cut and put together audio. We are quite different at Hack because we use quite a lot of music. Obviously, Triple J is a music radio station, so we use music in our packages to kind of accent what we're doing. So, um, you know, that that's a really useful skill. Being able to interview is is a really good one as well. And, you know, that seems like a pretty basic one in some senses, but you can do it really well or you can do it really basically. And, um, you know, learning how to be able to, get what you want out of a radio talent, um, tell a story through that interview, that's a really crucial skill as well. Some of the content that Triple J does cover uh, can be quite confronting or triggering for people. How do you set personal boundaries for yourself and for your work? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it's something that in the industry, even in, in the time that I've I've been in it, I think there's a better understanding now of, I guess, looking after your mental health and that kind of thing. And, you know, I remember being a cadet in Darwin for ABC and going out on a story and um, going to a really bad car crash and, you know, seeing a dead body and being quite confronted by that um, and not really realising what to do and, and no one in the office necessarily offering support in that situation as well. But now, um, you know, even starting in this role, being provided with a lot of support whenever I need it, people checking in continuously. There's now a mental health team at the ABC that's specifically there for us. And I think it was particularly interesting in the first week of coronavirus. I mean, like all of you, I'm sure it was pretty shocking getting into lockdown, um, you know, not knowing where the cases would go, looking to Europe and the US and freaking out about that. And then having to cover it consistently it got a lot for, for a lot of us in the team to sort of just be constantly thinking about it. And I know a lot of the mental health advice at the time, which was on the show was to sort of switch off from the news. And we were like, we can't <laughs> actually do that. No. Um, so yeah, it, it can, it can be tough, but I guess there is a lot of support out there, which is really great, especially now. And I guess we're more mindful of, of, looking after ourselves and each other in the team to make sure that we are supporting each other as well. And I guess I'm fully open if I'm feeling a bit down about something that day, um, just being open about it and being able to talk to my team has been really valuable. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great to hear that there's so much um, positive developments that have taken place. And I know our students were feeling the same when, um, when it was happening, I think the anticipation of COVID-19 yeah. was harder to deal with than once we knew kind of what was going on and, and what to expect, it was fear of the unknown that was very unsettling for a lot of people. And um, thank you so much for being very open about that. Um, you are an avid social media user and I, I love your Twittering. Um, you have mastered the art of being succinct in a number of characters, which is definitely an art. We're always talking about that with our radio students, about the power of brevity and being able to communicate succinctly. Um, but 
Twitter has been used for you to to also set some boundaries back for people who have um, been unkind or pretty much shared really outdated and and you know um, unwelcome views. I guess your appointment at the ABC saw a lot of attention taken away from your from your work and your achievements. Um, and focused on your ethnicity, which, um, you know, that's completely unfair and, and it's got to be frustrating as hell, I imagine, um, that that's happened. And, and again, I've seen this week with your announcement of, of being a finalist for the Walkleys as well. There's been some, you know, bullfed comments made as well. How do you deal with that um, on a personal level? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I didn't expect to happen. Um, well, actually, I did. I mean... I- in, in terms of like the Triple J Breakfast Show, um, you know, some of you may follow it, but last year or a couple of years ago, Ben and Liam, two guys, took over and they were incessantly trolled and it got to a point where they were actually, you know, scared going out on the street, mm. which sounds so dramatic, but they've spoken publicly about it and um, they called it out sort of six months into their appointment. They had taken over from Matt and Alex, who was so popular mm. and, um, you know, it was it was quite tough for them to kind of deal with the audience um, backlash. Um, and one of them, Liam, spoke out. He was like, it's really tough for me. And it kind of stopped a bit of the trolling. But it was um, something we all expected, considering there was going to be such a big new lineup for, on Triple J. And to be honest, it hasn't been that bad. Um, you know, the main things that I get... And it, it is frustrating as a woman at the helm of a show like this, whenever you do political mm. interviews, there are annoying trolls who sort of, um, you know, call you out for interrupting a politician or challenging them. And it's like, well, I can let them rant on if you want, but it's not very interesting for any of us. And they're kind of trying to take you around the corner and, you know, lie their way out of this situation. And yeah, I guess on Twitter as well, um, and to to be totally clear, it, it has been very supportive. The audience has been really amazing and I was expecting it to be bad and it hasn't. Um, but you do get those comments inevitably. I guess that's part of being in a position like this is that um, not everyone's going to like you, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and that is annoying, but that's just part of it. Um, and I guess it's something that I've, learned to deal with more and more. And it, it, I got some really good advice from Patricia Carvelis from RN Brecky. She said at the start of the year, um, you know, if I'm doing a political interview or a story which would expect a lot of hate, then to not read the text line that day and to perhaps not go onto Twitter before I go to sleep or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that has been so helpful because it, it just means that you can switch off from it. You're out of the story. You've kind of calmed down. You're just eating dinner, doing a normal thing, and the next day you'll come across the feedback, but it's a lot easier to stomach than straight after when you're sort of on a high after doing the show. So um, that has been really helpful advice as well. So mostly really supportive and really great audience feedback, but, you know, you're always going to get the idiots, and unfortunately that's just the reality of it. Even when people were trying to actually be on your side and celebrate they actually congratulated the wrong person for when you actually were appointed as the hack reporter right yeah i mean it was only a few people but uh it, <laughs> it was ridiculous that that happened um yeah that's shalila a p- political reporter um who also happens to be a brown work woman, at hack so, yeah yeah 
And, um, and then also for your, you know, the moment that you're announced this week for being a Walkley finalist for the prestigious journalism awards that Australia celebrates and, um, yeah, having some anti-vaxxers asking if you're a real journalist and suggesting that you quit your job. So I loved the fact that you said it's lovely to, that, that these people keep keep keeping on uh, keeping you down to earth. Yeah, and to be honest, the anti-vaxxers are a vocal minority, but they're very vocal. And yes. We did a story on, um, yeah, medical experts being really concerned about the growing anti-vaxxer movement and, and they were not shy with getting in touch. So, yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of people telling you that they've um, they've they've thought about pursuing or being told that they should make a podcast or a radio show as well. That's another that's another classic. Um, not necessarily not necessarily the editorial policies, but I do notice, and I'm sure that some of you have experienced this as well. You know, especially hack. It's like half an hour. It's a very tight program, and we fit quite a lot in. So we're constantly sort of wrapping people up a lot and I find when people are ranting at a party about something I'm feeling like I'm like jumping in to cut them off just being like we're about to hit the news you know we've we've got to end it here kind of thing um yeah so I find myself wrapping people up a fair bit in in person which is not great um but yeah that's the main thing that kind of bleeds in yes yes Yes. I've seen the ABC's piece on that and I loved it we we did share that amongst our team and thought it was quite funny um yeah that's a classic especially in ISO um you know a lot of people making podcasts during this time your career has been so impressive and you're only so young and I'm just in awe of your work that you have produced there's so much of it already What's one of the standout stories for you that you really are proud of? That's a good question. I guess, um, you know, I guess the biggest story uh, that you mentioned earlier that I've worked on is the, this University of New South Wales student who was wrongly accused of terror crimes. And I started reporting on it when he was first um, charged with the crimes and then kept going over the past two years to when he, um, the, the, the charges were dropped against him. I've spoken to his family, spoken to him. And it's been, it's been a lot of hard work to get the story out there, but keeping up that relationship with someone who's dealt with a lot of trauma being, you know, thrown into solitary Mm -hmm. confinement um, away from his family, told he did something he didn't do. Um, I'm really proud of, I guess, the, the constant coverage that, that we've done at hack over that. And yeah, it, it has been amazing to get that kind of story out to quite a large audience. Um, and I guess, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of work in Darwin in a number of different Aboriginal communities as well. And um, yeah, I guess that's something that I've continued to do as well in my role here at Hack. And um, yeah, I guess those stories that we sometimes don't hear a lot of in the mainstream media. Those are the ones that I'm, I'm particularly proud of doing at Hack. So, yeah. Darwin is such a beautiful place. I spent some time up there working in radio myself for many years and um, it's unlike anywhere else in Australia. And um, it's, it's great. Yes. Yeah. The content you're making up there was very powerful as well. Um, what's one of the things that you love most about audio storytelling? I think it really was highlighted to me in a couple of ways. Firstly, I I think just the intimacy that you can have. I've worked across print, um, 
TV, radio, intimacy sounds pretty weird. Anyway, but <laughs> basically, it, it, I guess when you're doing TV stories, it can be quite hard to, A, convince people to go on camera, but B, to convince them to be themselves. Um, and, you know, it, it, obviously when there's a microphone, people are also, you know, showing a different side to them. But um, it is a lot easier for people to be who they are when you're just talking to them and all you've got in between each other is is that microphone. I think it's also really easy to transport people to another place. Um, you know, of course, you can do that on TV and you can show people things and it's incredible in that way as well. But, you know, I think that being able to hear something and be immersed in it and everything is about one person listening. We know there's a huge audience in some cases or a smaller one, but you're always talking to that one person. So as the listener, you feel quite privileged to hear a story in that way. And so those are my favorite things about it. And I think during the coronavirus situation, you all would know that literally every day it was a different update. Um, even sometimes within hours, um, there would be a new restriction Peter Dunn would get coronavirus, um, you know, it was literally every day. And for us to be able to, I think during one of the shows, we got the breaking news that Peter Dunn was um, tested positive. And it was like, you can't change a TV bulletin very quickly to do a TV story on Peter Dunn getting it, but you can announce it on radio. You can talk about it extensively. You can get talent up. And um, I guess the immediacy in that way makes it both really unique and easy to cover breaking news and updates in that way. Now for anybody that's thinking about joining their local community radio station or, you know, having big ambitions to be on the Triple J team at one stage, what would be the key things that um, you would recommend they focus on? I think the biggest things, I guess, for me, I, as I said, community radio, if you can get some kind of volunteer position at a community radio station, um, that is such an amazing way to be thrown completely into the deep end. You're, you know, a presenter on, you know, four weeks in or whatever. Um, and getting that kind of experience is really great if you're able to sacrifice the time because it is often voluntary. Um, and even community newspapers, all those sort of, um, I guess, yeah, those, those kind of publications. And unfortunately, it's sad that we're seeing a lot of them shut down in the last couple of weeks. But any of those, getting a foot in there gives you that experience. And then when you do go for jobs or, um, you know, get into the ABC, that kind of experience is really recognised, showing that you can do a story or present or edit a story on on a radio station, it goes a really long way. Um, and I think just getting your foot in the door. I started off doing admin at the ABC. I was a runner. I did the auto cue for the presenters. Um, and getting that kind of understanding of how a newsroom works or how broadcast works just by being there and doing those tasks is really great. But then you're also building contacts with people in the industry. So when you do ultimately go for jobs, they know you and, you know, even if that's just the fact that they've seen you in the elevator, it's kind of triggering something in their brain that puts you front and centre for them. And it, it, it does suck that there's a lot of free work in journalism. Um, and so if you, can, if you can use the time, if you're available to do that, then internships, all that kind of thing, 
And, and I guess the other thing is just pitching stories. Um, before I worked on Hack, um, you know, even like six years ago, I was pitching stories to them and getting, trying to get packages up. And most of the time they're like, no, or um, they don't reply, but you just have to keep pushing. Um, and again, having that experience puts you, gives you a pretty good shot because when I became a reporter on Hack, they had remembered that I'd filed for them in the past. Mm-hmm. So um, just pitching as much as you can is is really helpful to get get in, getting your way in eventually. Demonstrating that commitment as well. I yeah, think that's a long way. Totally, and I guess even if that's just like looking up the executive producer of a show that you want to file to, um, and cold emailing them, it feels weird. I know it feels unnatural, and when they don't reply, you feel a bit down. But you know they're often busy. They're not not replying because they don't like you. So just pushing and finding those people to get in touch with is a really good way to start. When you were first starting out, what was something that you weren't very good at that you've mastered now? Oh, that's a really good question. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I think one thing is um, the confidence element probably. I remember going to press conferences and you're in this media pack with a lot of journalists and um you know, some of them have been in the industry for years and they're able to sort of challenge the politicians and get in there. And, um, you know, at the start, I would be like, just ask a question, just ask anything because you're just hot, you're just heart's beating out there trying to like figure out what to say. And even now, sometimes, you know, I'm interviewing politicians and um, it's always nerve wracking, to be honest. Um, and, you know, you kind of have to psych yourself up a bit. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I can feel myself getting better at it, but um, it's definitely something, yeah, being able to back yourself to sort of jump in there and challenge someone. I think that that's something that I felt improve over the time. And I'm hearing that you're putting some importance on the the practice element. Is that right? (laughs) I'm sure that's an element of, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just doing it over and over again, right? And it just ends up... um, Yeah, and it takes a while, but, you know, you don't even think about it, but the more you do it, the the better you get it. It definitely, I can feel that um, happening. That's wonderful. We're always um, saying that to students as well, that it's one thing that you can't kind of life hack is is mastery. It comes through practice, comes through those hours um, that you've spent in studios cutting audio over and over again to get faster and faster at it and know what should stay and know what should be cut out as well. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that there's a lot of students that would love to ask some questions as well. Uh, Jenna, you've got a question. Yes. Hi. Um, Hi. I love Hack, by the way. I listen all the time. Thank you. Sometimes I feel like after, like, a long day of work, I can't even listen to Hack because I can't, like, deal with, like, sometimes, like, the negative news stories in it. Like, how do you deal with balancing the positive and the negative stories? That's such a good question. Um, we actually did a talk um, the other day with this sort of historian who kind of touched on that idea of like humanity and how we kind of have become, he, he says that we were wrong to assume that humans are selfish people. I have a point here. And he says that a lot of it is to do with the news and the fact that we're constantly swamped with these negative stories and that that's kind of made us think in this particular way. It's obviously his idea but you know not everyone agrees with it but um it's definitely something we balance and you know some days obviously earlier in the week often like on a monday or tuesday there's a lot of big news around 
But especially towards the end of the week, we try to put in some of those life stories that are a bit more lighthearted, um, that may be funnier, like we did one on a, an app for people with small penises, um, a dating app. And so, you know, that's a pretty niche example. But we're always trying to think about doing things that apply to people's day-to-day -day lives that may be a bit more positive and uplifting in that sense to try and balance it out because, and especially during coronavirus, it's just so much negativity out there that we had to try and figure out things like people going on Zoom dates or um, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's definitely something we're thinking about balancing all the time. Cool. Thank you. Great question. Such an interesting um, sort of territory to examine about how you should structure a show sort of tonally as well. I'm going to jump in with a question for myself before I throw it back to the students. Um, you talked earlier, and it's quite profound when you spoke about it, about um, the, the, the goal is to be not patronizing and not assume knowledge as well. And obviously, that's an evolved position, and that's a principle. It sounds easy to say, but how do you live that? And how do you sense check when you're going through the, 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 the content of that, that, that term? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I guess in terms of, um, I mean... Even if you look at a lot of the news in um, mainstream media generally, when you look at political stories, for example, um, there is a lot of assumed knowledge, right, that um, so-and-so is in the coalition or um, I think a very clear one was um, I did a cross on Triple J Breakfast and they're um, two young girls in their early 20s and they were like, what is the coalition? And, um, you know, that's something that we assume doing reporting what the coalition is and then you realise actually a lot of young people listening wouldn't know what that is. And th But then most news sources would be writing the coalition, blah, 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 in their stories. And that's totally fine. But I guess for our audience, it's, it is really going back down to those basics. And the thing is with something like explaining who the coalition is, in one line in a story the people who know know and that's fine um and they're not going to feel patronized if you just say it's the liberals and nationals who are in government but um for the people who don't know it's that real i guess accessibility into a story that they may not have and they may have glossed over if otherwise thank you that's that's great rob howdy howdy i love love what you're doing at Hack. Um, Thanks. Twofold question, everyone, everyone's probably interested in, who do you listen to or get mentorship from? And secondly to that, I noticed that on the request of all the, a lot of the announcers are battling with the concept a bit. What's your take on it now that oldies like me are getting our songs on board? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the requestable one is an interesting one. It's basically, if you don't know, Triple J is completely taken over this week by listeners who are choosing all the music which is playlisted on the station. And I think it's it's chaotic, but it's fun. I, I really like it. And I think people are really enjoying it as well. Um, so that's been really fun to get around. Um, and in terms of who I listen to, um, I guess... You know, they're pretty obvious. Patricia Carvelis, I think she's an incredible interviewer. She's also a mentor. And, yeah, she's just unashamedly herself. And she's dealt with a lot of the whole trolling and that kind of thing that we've spoken about in the past. And I guess that's another big thing in radio. People constantly are trying to massage you into one particular version of a reporter or presenter. But I guess the best thing you can do is be yourself, which sounds so cheesy and it's like, come on, are they really going to accept that? But I think um, news organisations and media organisations are really um, moving to accept more diversity and 
different ways of speaking, all that kind of thing. So that's really great. And she's a big pioneer of that. And I think it really shows in the way she does, does her work. Um, Fran Kelly is amazing. Aaron Brecky, um, she is, again, such a great interviewer, able to just draw so much from her guests as well. Um, and Sarah Ferguson, just like such an incredible reporter. Um, and they're all three really generous women as well. I love when people are high profile, but they're actually nice and um, supportive as well. Um, so, yeah, those three are probably my favourites. There's one more question that's come through on the chat here, which is at any point in your radio career, have you struggled with sounding like you're reading your notes too much? How do you strike the balance between natural conversation or reading out prepared questions? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I'm thinking about now, like all the time, um, because you don't want to sound too scripted. Um, I, I actually experimented a bit and I still do this sometimes with just doing dot points instead of writing out full scripts. Um, and I still do that, especially in our Friday show because it's a panel show on the stories of the week um, to make it sound more conversational and less like you're reading a script. Um, and I guess in terms of interviewing as well, the way that I sort of write out my interviews, I do like a one word heading for each question. So I'll be like, isolation, coronavirus, I don't know, that's a bad example. But um, so when I'm looking down at the page, I'm not reading the question as it's written out, but it sort of gives me a memory trigger to be like, oh yeah, that's that story about funding for universities or whatever. And so then I'm actually just saying it instead of reading it directly word for word. So that's helpful as well. Um, but then the other thing I guess is when you do have scripts, because, you know, when you're doing a package or, yeah, even when I'm doing the show, I have scripts, is um, I started off by highlighting particular words that I'd emphasise, um, putting in points of where I'd breathe as well, um, so I'm not breathing in odd positions, because if you breathe mid-sentence, that sounds really unnatural, right? Because no one's just like, and then I went to the shops or whatever. Um, so marking out phrases and where you'd naturally breathe, um, and that's what I started off doing, and now I've again, trained myself. It just happened naturally, but I don't need to mark my scripts up anymore. And it just happens. Um, so that has been really helpful as well. So you're not putting emphasis on the wrong words, but you're actually forcing yourself to kind of emphasize in particular areas. And then it becomes second nature after a while. You've been listening to Talks at Afters, an Australian film, television and radio school podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes. For show notes and other resources, head to afters.edu.au. That's afters.edu.au.